Hey folks, what other Redneck Country podcast? You are on with Real Redneck Todd Millard, and of course, I've got the almost guy, Real Redneck Bill Tom. Bill, are you there? I'm here, and it's always a good night for a podcast. Beautiful night for a podcast, and sitting beside me is my father, the patriarch of Redneck Country, Real Redneck Don Millard. Dad, is your mic hot? Yep, it's hot. It's tested. I'm here, and I walked over. Beautiful night for a walk tonight. Wonderful. And it's tested like our patients. Tested like our patients. <laughs> <laughs> Dad in the studio. Yeah. <laughs> Ser- so, serenity now. Anyway. That's all you got to do. Just keep remembering serenity now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. All right. What'd you do this week, Bill? Hit me. Break me off was, some. Yeah. You know what? It was a good week. I had a, had a great weekend. I finally decided to uh, get my stuff together and get out in, in the, the bush and, and try to hunt down some rabbits and boy, I had a great walk. That's all I can say. (laughs) I tell you, I walked, uh, I can't even tell you, I walked for three hours and I saw maybe one rabbit track the whole time I was out there. And it's tough because I, I hunt in County Bush and uh, I decided to try a new County Bush that, um, that seemed promising. It's got some ravines. It's got uh, some Creek, Creek beds. Cause you and I were kind of talking on the last podcast with that, um, how we, uh, you guys were able to locate and find and, and, Creeks sometimes were producing uh, some good rabbit uh, hunting opportunities, right? Yep, yep. Around, uh, around that. And, and I thought, okay, well, this is brand new. And I walked. I tell you, if I didn't learn, if I didn't do anything else, I learned a lot about uh, about the woods for, for deer hunting opportunities in the, in the fall. So it wasn't a total lost day. I was able to learn. No dead uh, bodies uh, this week. No blood trails. No, no drag lines. No, nothing. I, uh, no OPP. To on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> right. shoot, no, but, uh, no police coming. <laughs> no, nothing there. But we uh, uh, also had a real nice uh, pork shoulder on the Weber barbecue again on on Sunday, and that was a another good day for 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 cooking on the. Did on the it Weber. come out so, as it should from a Weber Grill certified master? I had somebody tell me, and I won't. Uh, I brought a, a little sample size into work for a guy who does some grilling on his own, and he's he, he does a traditional uh, style with uh, the, the coal and wood fire. And he says, "What you brought me was professional." And I said, "Are you kidding?" He said, "No, this would have <laughs> what you would expect at a, a real true barbecue restaurant. It was homemade sauce with the. Uh, I think it was almost closer to twelve hours by the time I was." all said and done and cutting it up and having a, having a sandwich at the table there, which what, uh, what we put into that, he said was, was professional. And I thought, hmm, chalk one up for the Weber Academy. Professional. <laughs> and then he said, Hey boss, can I have tomorrow off? And will you sign my picture? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell you, my wife tried to kill me this week though. Oh, oh is that so? That's like is a that daily so? occurrence for mine, but, but, yeah. but carry on. I do want to know how you can, we can now relate bill. <laughs> yeah. Fruits and vegetables, fruits and vegetables. So <laughs> I told you last week, like yeah. she could really wing them. <laughs> Are you patching <laughs> so walls today? <laughs> Apparently I'm, I'm worth more dead than I am alive to her sometimes. Isn't that she, the rodeo way? I'm pretty sure that my wife was the same. She always said to make sure to Scotty, make sure if he gets hurt in the arena that you drag him out on the road because his insurance yeah. will cover it. And his, She never really cared. She's like, yep, you go get on bulls. I'm all good. <laughs> That's it. Fruits and vegetables. So I told you last week, I, I'm, I'm starting to get uh, back in shape and, and, and away from the roundness 
those pear shaped t-shirts that I, I, I have in my drawer now. Um, <laughs> So what we decided to do. I think they call them maternity wear, Bill, but carry on. Carry on. We shop at the beer store too much. That's where you get them pear shaped shirts, anyways, right? So, (laughs) (laughs) but those, uh, the vegetables, I have have a fresh fruit allergy. And and it sounds, sounds, but I have, I love all fresh fruits. I love all vegetables. But some fruits and vegetables, I have a certain tolerance where then I go into almost anaphylactic shock. I had, too much at once uh, on on Monday morning or Tuesday morning, whatever day it was, and my lips started to tingle, my throat started to close up, my eyes started to feel like I would just walk through a fresh pollen field, and and I thought I was, <laughs> I thought I was done. Get the Benadryl in you, and it, it calms you down <laughs> awful quick. But I tell you, fruits and vegetables for for those out there, stay away from those if you can, because they just about killed me this week. <laughs> <laughs> Public service announcement, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love that you've been yeah. married to her for so long, and yet this still happens. Yeah, I know. That's what I thought too. I it's it's kind of odd. Right? Yeah, right, right. And yet she's and and like a couple podcasts ago, we heard that she knows where a good body dump site is. Apparently, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I'm going after anybody, it's not me. It's I'd be worried be the next time she says, "Hey." Want to go walk in the woods? Maybe check out some deer sign. Don't do it, Bill. <laughs> yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> I, I say this just in case anything happens to me, we can go back to podcast episode number fill in the blank, <laughs> yeah, and then right. you Last guys week. know where to find me and where I, where I eat. Last week we're begging people not to call the police. This week we're begging people keep them on speed <laughs> dial in case Bill doesn't show up next week. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> hey, as long so, as Candace can bring the same personality aspect to counter mine, we're, I, we don't well, care from this end. <laughs> Whatever happens. What it is. <laughs> I'm messaging her right now. We've got it covered. Don't worry. It will live on, my man. Even if That's it's it. in your name, in your honor. <laughs> I appreciate it. You know, best of episode has yet to happen. So let's, <laughs> let's leave it for a while. But hey, that's me. What'd you, what'd you get up to this week? Well, I was going to say, so I'm almost ashamed to say this because very Another seldom. Box meal? <laughs> no, no, no. Well, okay. We'll go there first. So okay. now, now I want to clarify when you say box meal, this is fresh food being delivered. And it is just like, instead of going to the grocery store, the grocery uh, store comes to you. That's the only that difference. It makes a huge it's difference. fresh food. And I still have to prepare it from scratch. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is from, it's not like you get a jar of ragu sauce to add. You are making the ragu sauce. Like you, it's all from, from straight natural farm, fresh produce. And you've got to make it from scratch. So I'm actually, you, you could chirp, but I'm, I'm taking accolades for crushing suppers so but yeah. with regards to that that was my wife i think because she works and even though you know like we're in covid crap and all that stuff she still goes into the office i work from home she goes into the office every day so she doesn't get home till 5 30 ish and so with that with those coming i go upstairs and and i'm excited because you get the recipe which for dudes now bill i know you can't relate to drinking your tea and such but but for us for us coffee drinking dudes reading instructions isn't always number 1 and i'm usually a kill it and grill it kind of guy right but now i'm like hey i'm going to see what this foodie life is all about so i get this instructions recipe whatever like i guess the women call them recipes so i get this thing out and it, it steps you through and then I'm learning all of the, like the half tablespoon, half teaspoon, don't mix those up and, and doing all that jazz. And dude, I've never had food taste. So I should say that lower in case my wife hears me. Cause she's predominantly the cook. 
I've never had food taste so good. Yeah. <laughs> so, so three days we got, we got uh, the meal plan of this thing. Cause I, we had the gift certificate. So we did it for three days, those three days. And my wife isn't really an adventurous eater. She's like meat and potatoes, which my kill it and grill it style usually works if I'm the one going to cook, but normally she does. So now that this came in, she comes home to the prepared meal, which I didn't think about. So now I'm like, She's like, are we doing it? Is it, is it next week? Too? I'm like, well, no, we had a gift card and it's, it gets kind of expensive. Like if you go grocery shopping, you could probably cut this bill in half now that we have the recipe, then you could probably still do it. So if you go grocery shopping, da, 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 da. so anyway, the next couple of nights we're back to normal where she comes home and cooks. Cause I'm busy. I mean, I'm doing work and other work and other work and brands and everything else. I got graphic design, all the this stuff I got going on. And so now all of a sudden two nights later and she's like, Hey, there's a discount right now for that meal fresh thing again. And I'm like, what do you mean a discount? Yep. Yep. So it's only $10 more than what we paid last time. So as of this coming Wednesday, box meals are back on their way. And so I'm like, and I'm like, but wait a minute. You know what? The first time I get the first time you're trying it, I understand this is something new, but now, now you're going back for it. And, and I don't even think it's part, it, it has anything to do with the food or anything. Like I was impressed that she was eating it with it, like this, this pork burger that I made, but it had all this extra stuff in it. And that's not her gig. Right. But she ate it all. And I think it was just a fact, who cares what it tastes like? She could come no, home it. and it was prepared. <laughs> she didn't have to yeah, do the work. Well, there you go. So, I mean, so uh, we're now, back now in. you're learning and expanding your, your, horizons and i tell you what you're gonna be better for this todd in the end i tell you you'll probably be better for this <laughs> i'm earning my mug Learn. that says grill master <laughs> <Yeah>. bill <laughs> that, that you gave me <laughs> I'm, I'm earning it so yeah so I, I i'm i'm off the hook again until next wednesday next wednesday the boxes start showing up and but new recipes it's a it's a whole new year new me so, yeah. so did and, that and, and you'll have one of those things called a cookbook. <laughs> I have the, the meat eater cookbook, but it's like kill it and grill it kind of style. So, there you go. so but, but you're right now I'm getting all these hey. recipes that, that, uh, yeah, so it's going, but that, was, that aside, I wanted to know something. I yeah. wanted to know something before you get into the next thing. And I know that we're kind of tight for time here, but did have you like, um, brushed your shoes yet? <laughs> you seen those? So aren't they fast? Well, those are fast out, shoes. Well, what are you doing? Like, you and Joel from where that uh, lion show was earlier in the year. It's lion colored <laughs> lion hair. They're tiger stripe, dude. These shoes Joel so exotic and tiger. Being tiger a bit of the sneakerhead, these are my my. I don't even know my sixty fifth pair of shoes now. I think my wife's the one keeping track. But regardless, I, I had a credit for. The, one of the sneakerhead apps because of this shipping fiasco with my last pair of shoes, which I would like to say on here were old school duck camo and target orange Nike air max nineties. Yeah, so you, much respect. They, they, they equal themselves out to, this is a problem for you right now. <laughs> what I saw online with what these shoes look like, I cannot believe you think you're going to wear these in the public. Dude, they're fast. They're orange. They're so fast. they're up my alley, right? Like, so when I go to the gun club, I'm all, I'm, I'm all color coordinated. Like that's it. You gotta look John, good to shoot John, good. You, you gotta step in here. Uh, are you, are you okay going out in public with this guy with those shoes? Oh, heavens. We go to the gun club. In fact, if he's not there, the guys say, Hey, did you bring old orange shoes? <laughs> like, uh, where's the orange shorts? And, uh, and uh, I've colored shoes and like they miss it. 
You know, he's, he's got a name for himself. It's the so. chirpability factor that they like. And yeah, going out public's only a struggle for dad because he's getting older. It's tougher to beat the women off me when we're trying to get from spot A to spot B. Oh my but Lord. Re- right. re- regardless, these shoes, dude, they're fast. I haven't even worn them yet. They're still sitting on the box in all their glory. Tiger Stripe, Nike Air, Presto Reacts, and they have been voted worldwide forever. Like going back in history, the most comfiest shoe ever is my second pair of reacts. I'm wearing the others right now. So I wear them like slippers around the house, but these ones are just too beautiful. The tiger stripe orange. Too beautiful. Yeah. Can't pet my shoes, Bill. Can't pet my shoes. But anyway, so you went rabbit hunting and you feel bad because you didn't see a thing. Well, let me, I'm going to subside because <laughs> sticking with, sticking with my MO it, it is going to sound cocky, but we don't often not come home with some game. And so I've said it forever, like rabbits, we got the spots, man. And and I always say it's because we're awesome hunters, although we've done it for a long time. We know what we're doing, but we still have the days where you're not going to harvest anything. I mean, that just comes. I just don't like it when it does. But in this respect, we've got, this was the perfect piece of property. And on Saturday, this is when you went hunting, right? You messaged me and yeah, told sir. me, and I'm like, well... And we're going to show Bill. We got to go out this afternoon. (laughs) So I rallied the troops, my dad, my brother-in-law. All right, let's go. We got the optimal spot because it's, it's not hunted a lot and it is, it's got some ravines in it and the rabbits and then fields and then a little bit of Creek. So like the rabbits, they just flourish some, some fresh forest and some low pines and the whole night. It's just brush here and there. It's, it's perfect for rabbit and we've had lots of success. So, all right, where are we going? Well, we're going to that spot. Because Bill already messaged me and told me that he didn't get nothing, so now we gotta we gotta stack gotta one better. We gotta whack them yep. and stack them and send them a picture. And I mean, not two. I want fifteen loaded up there. So, <laughs> so anyway, so we went out. I'm glad it can be your motivation. <laughs> so, so yeah, so we 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 went out went out about what, Dad? Two thirty. We headed out yeah. there. So we were hunting by three o'clock. My brother in law came with me. Now I will I will say my brother in law is half my age, so he is. Uh, a rambunctious young feller about 23 years old. And so 22 ish, 23 around that, around that age. So we get in the woods. And so me and dad, I, I grew up hunting rabbit with dad. Like that's the first time ever being in the bush when I was a gaffer and couldn't hunt was rabbit hunting with dad. Right. So I've learned the house slow dad likes to go. The rabbits sit tight. They could blast out behind you, beside you. You gotta, you gotta take your time. And we don't have, and the snow had melted, which really sucked. I mean, there was little spots here and there, and I hate hunting rabbits without snow because brown against brown is just flashes of brown, and then you're just Hail Mary and shots. But it is what it is. I have to show up the almost guy, so away we go. Not a lot of snow. So we go, okay, let's go three wide. Well, let me tell you something. In in three minutes, me and dad maybe went 10 yards. My brother-in-law, I bet you, was halfway through the woods. <laughs> So, so, so it was a little different. Dad couldn't keep up. And, and then I was trying to stay with dad and, and keep that because I know there's no snow. It's going to be tough to see him. And, and we, on our way, we had so, so high hopes because what do we count dad? Something like 18 deer on our way out there, 10 minute drive, 18 deer in all the different fields on our way. So when I do that, I figure, okay, it is a good day. It was warming up. Hence the snow was melting, but the animals are out. Right. It's a nice, it's a, it's, it's a nice day. It's right around freezing, right around zero degrees for us. And so it's, it's not bad, right? Zero degrees Celsius for anybody listening down South, but it's not bad for deer being out. Rabbits got to be out. They got to, it's, it's just too nice. Well, 
there was the first block that we normally put a bunch up, not a thing. I don't know if my brother-in-law was pushing them ahead going so fast and they could hear them coming and they were running ahead. I don't know. So we regrouped and went back over to what we call the junkyard of this place where there's some old equipment stuff and some, some big old containers there and some old trailers and, and decks and everything just put here and then bush along the edge. Yeah. Just all over the place. And then there's a, a little bit of bush, maybe like 15 yards of bush and then drops down to a creek. So that bush is usually loaded with them. And then they're all out under the decks. There's pipe there, there's trailers, and they're usually scattered without. So we go through the woods and we circle back and come through kind of what we call the junkyard area. And so we went through the woods, not a darn thing, but on our way back through the junkyard, they were sitting tight. I walked right, really slow, right around one. I went up this hill, like a little like dirt pile that from doing construction, they just dumped it there. And now grass has started to grow on it. I walked around it. I climbed up on top of it and it's probably 10 yards high. So I climbed up on top of it. Just as I got up, a rabbit shot. I heard him from behind me and I had just walked by. Like I would have almost stepped on him. By the time I got turned around, he was around a corner, boom, gone. So we not went. Not even a shot. No, well, I'm not going to say that because I mean I'm pulling triggers. I don't care. <laughs> so, but it was a hail mary. I mean, he was he was out there booking it and, and turned the corner as I pulled as I touched one off on the on the side by side Ithaca there, the 20 gauge. And so I, I'm going to say I'm mentioning 20 gauge. So you know I didn't have as much shot as if I was shooting the 10 gauge, three and a half. No, <laughs> but but no, he. <laughs> He, he got away. I went back and, and tried to chase him down and no dice. So as we were going through dad, I don't know where dad was. He was kind of milling through the, the junkyard, but a ways away. And I was trying to keep up with my brother-in-law. Well, he had rabbits up in the junk running everywhere. And all I'm hearing is going on. I'm like, are you getting them? What's going on? He's like, no, they're running everywhere. So I, I ran over, tried to keep up. And as I'm running, he's, he's running in the woods. And I mean, he's running. I'm like, this is not how we hunt rabbit. You ain't catching a rabbit. <laughs> so, no. so he ran in the woods. Well, I'm standing there. He's like, it went in the woods. So I go in the woods the other way. I'm like, well, I, I, maybe we could contain it. And if it didn't get to a hole, we'll push it out. So we start to walk towards each other. I get up on another knoll and I get up on the knoll and he's kind of in the woods. And I see another flash of brown across the junkyard shoom, from one implement to the other. He, he's out here. If it's the same one. Well, we chase that rabbit. For the next, what, dad, 45 minutes? Yeah. It went from, it like, trying not to shoot windows out of implement tractors and, and, and bulldozers. And so it never getting a shot. It went from implement to implement to pipe to implement. And uh, we, I mean, if you videoed us, we'd have looked like just a bunch of the three stooges out there. I tell you what, to the point where we gave up. We might have had a almost rabbit hunt better than you, Bill. <laughs> It sounds like it, it sounds like we, at least you had an excitement where you saw something that we, you oh, frustration because we, we might have had almost right. a great walk, except I got tired of this fiasco, so I just sat on a rock and watched the episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, he's probably going to get the shot because we're too no busy doubt. chasing it between. <laughs> he's, I'm like, you go to that side of the bulldozer, I got this side, and Tommy takes off the other way, <laughs> and so never get a shot. I mean, it was honestly, I was laughing the whole time because what. what 
what can you do? I'd never, no, it was fun. fun. Oh, it was an absolute blast, but just not getting to pull the trigger and watching like this was the, either the dumbest rabbit or the smart. All I kept the saying was, dude, we are freaking Elmer Fudd. And this is Bugs Bunny. We are taking the wrong turn. We should have taken the left at Albuquerque. I tell you what, cause this dude yeah. was doing <laughs> circles around us. And every time to the point where we finally got fed up, we're like, okay, we're done. Let's go. We got like 45 minutes before it's getting dark. So there's another good little section over on the other side of the property. Let's get back in the trucks. We'll drive over there and we'll push that uh, for the last. And as we're standing there talking about this, the darn thing rips right from, I'm standing beside this old truck cab, like a 1947 Dodge truck or whatever it is sitting on the ground. It fires out of that right like I swear it ran over my brother-in-law's boot and underneath the bulldozer. And we're like, nope, screw it. We're out of here. Let's go. <laughs> so you just, just tease. Just tease. Yeah, you win. And I, it even stopped at the edge of the bulldozer looked at me and I'm like, screw you, you jerk. But I was excited, Bill. I, I actually managed to do this hunt. Now at my speed, I don't yeah. rush through anyway. We're using hunt in quotes. But- but I haven't been hunting for a couple of years because of my knees, but I got the crotozone shot. I've been walking, doing exercise. I actually did this hunt and I never even fell once. Oh, and I will That's tell awesome. you, he actually even slid down probably a good 10, 10 yard drop. He grabbed onto a vine and this is where crap goes bad, man. I'm like, this is, I'm, it, mom always says, if dad didn't come home wet or dirty, she knew he didn't go hunting because he, he yeah. falls no matter what. And so this was it. He's, we're on the top of this embankment. He's got to slide down. I said, you go down the bottom and just sit there. I'm going to walk this whole top. It's like a big dirt pile in a circle, like a berm. And, and they actually use it for that, like sighting in the, the black powders and stuff. So I said, I'm going to walk the top of this berm and, and just down the edges and see if I can push rabbits down to you. You just go sit down there. So he had to go to the bottom. He started to slide. There was still some snow on the edge. He grabbed a vine and almost looked like as agile as me. Like he surfed this no. and I thought, oh, here we go. He's going down. We're blowing a hip. This is the end of it. And no, he stayed up on his feet, slid all the way down, holding this vine, went and sat down like it was nothing. That's I was awesome. that I was most impressed on that. I was very <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was good. I thought, like, yeah, yeah here I we can, go. Yeah, 72 year old blowing a hip going in. Let's go get COVID at the hospital. Nope, I can do <laughs> well, no, no better way to, to go like going on a hunting trip. So I'm glad you could make it for another one. Cause I'd love to get down there and see what an actual rabbit hunt looks like. Yeah. Hey, now I'm not here. confident. No. <laughs> yeah. I tell you, one of these times when uh, the world opens up again, I am going to make that trek because you know, I, I walked pretty fast going through the bush too, but it, it was easier for me to walk fast because I could tell there was no tracks. It was nothing. Yeah. It wasn't like I, I, I went to some, uh, I cut down brush piles and I looked around there to see if they were coming out and feeding and foraging. Nothing. You know, you get the bottom of the, the, the small sapling type things that are eat the bark is, is chewed all apart. Nothing. So, I just, I just don't think they were there. You know? Well, and they might not even have been out right with the way the weather was. Maybe it was like a three day hiatus, hang out in the hole kind of thing. And, and that's what I was wondering. Cause normally even with no snow, we'd see more than what we did. Like I'm almost certain it was one rabbit. We were chasing through that chunk. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe two if we're lucky, but yeah, like I did, there's just wasn't the rabbits out. And normally I judge it by, as we're driving out, you see a lot of wild. You see turkeys out. We go past my, my tree stand for black powder. And there was, I don't know, there was 11 deer out front of that. There was turkeys out front. So I'm like, man, wildlife's woken up, right? Right. It's going to be great for rabbit hunting. And it sure. just was not the case. But 
So yeah, yeah I don't well, know. I'm gonna try again. I mean, if one one hunt's not gonna hurt me because if that was the case, I would have quit hunting a long time ago. But it ain't killing; it's hunting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean, and, uh, I mean, I, for you, for you. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Come I'm, on, I am the almost guy. Right? I mean, you wouldn't expect a story that didn't didn't end with success every time if it came from me. So, <laughs> <laughs> almost, almost got him. I'm with you. Now I, I'm afraid I, you're rubbing off just us having these conversations every week. I, whatever I can do, you know, to share the misery around a little bit. Yeah, I hear you. I, I then exactly what your wife says. Yeah, right. <laughs> 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 uh, did, I, I'm the the guy, you know. That gives people hope because if you listen to this long enough, I will be successful. And then I can be that story that everybody says, you know what? I listened to the almost guy for a long time. Yeah, just don't I got really up. sad for him. And all of a sudden, yeah, just don't it was give a up. success story. <laughs> no, no. Your optimism. It impresses me, Bill. <laughs> That's all I've got left. Yeah. Well, Hey, I mean, there's always bowling, but just hang in there a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah. I took a golf this summer. That's how bad it got to, you know? <laughs> yeah so dad i don't know that i mean i know we pretty much covered what we did I, did you do anything well yeah i this I, week i had some milestones this week i haven't even told todd one of them milestones golf yeah. what or i'll get there Just kidney stones <laughs> anyway I, i've been doing cooking walking and exercising and usually i walk 14 to seventeen thousand steps a day and this week I did a record. One day I did 21,000 steps, which is over 11 kilometers. So wow. He I, put the Fitbit on the ceiling fan. I, t- <laughs> yeah. I, I <laughs> took a screenshot of that. Every time I get a new record, I take a <laughs> screenshot. You know how phone. to take a screenshot? Yeah, I do. And so I've, I've <laughs> saved that. I've got them 17, 18, 19, 20, and now 21. And so I'm feeling good, walking good. That's, and all, it really helped me do that rabbit hunt. And also I've been cooking. Um, my wife went shopping last Saturday and she came home with all this stuff and piles of hamburger and she came home with this nice, uh, fresh ribeye steak. And I said, when are we having the steak? And she says, I'm hoping you'll barbecue it. Well, miserable, cold, freezing rain. But I said, fine. So I went out and barbecued that steak and was it good. I haven't had a barbecued steak for several months now. And it was awesome. Several months. I don't yeah. even know who you are. Well, just have Bill, a, just you're have you're rubbing off on everybody. Like next, yeah. he's going to be drinking tea, <laughs> eating <laughs> crumpets, and <laughs> so we made uh, we made a big pot of chili, made a big pot of homemade spaghetti sauce, and uh, packaged it up, put them in the freezer, and labeled them. And I made a couple pots of homemade soup. So been cooking up a storm. One night this you'll week, you'll eat well. Yeah, one night this week. Well, Todd had run out of his boxed meals. And, yeah, uh, you got to help the kid out every now and then, don't you? Yeah, so I said to my wife. I'll take it. You called me a kid. We'll go with that. Yeah, I said to my wife, get a, get a couple of chickens out of the freezer and thaw them out. So the next morning, I we've come over here to look after the kids and because and, uh, Avery's online school and Glenda spends three or four hours with Avery on school and Avery and I do a walk. So I made a, a nice big pan of stuffing and I stuffed these two chickens and I put some roast potatoes and carrots. So by the time Jen come home, there was a nice chicken supper already and waiting. It was a bonus. I will go with that. I'm down here working. They're homeschooling the kids. Dad's cooking in the, in the kitchen. I just stay downstairs and all is well. Now you did the dishes. No, I did the dishes. (laughs) Bill. Watch yeah. where you go with here. No, let I, it, I, let it go. Spoil the kid. I've been <laughs> trying. Twice I call trying, him a kid. but he just can't sink. He puts them in the sink, but 
That's Dad does work. the dishes every day. Jed's like, she'll come home. And she's like, There's, well, you better do the dishes before your parents come again tomorrow morning. And I'm like, well, my parents are coming tomorrow morning. <laughs> Let's start licking plates and throwing them in the sink. He, he puts them in the sink, but that's just work. Now I got to take them out of the sink to fill the sink to wash them. So he might better just leave them on the counter. Done deal. They never learn. No. They never learn. But the other thing I've been doing, going? you know, I got the torn rotator cuff in my left shoulder. And, you know, I got the two muscles ripped off that hold my shoulder in place. And you can put my arm to lift. So I've been really working at exercising. They tell me there's other mechanisms that if you work hard enough, you can get them to work and get back to doing. Well, I could never lift my trap gun. I couldn't get it up to my shoulder and hold it there. I've been trying to find ways to get it up or or put it on a tripod or whatever. It's only the heaviest gun on the planet. But So I've been exercising. You know, we hunted Saturday, and Todd never even asked me, are you going to be able to lift your gun to shoot a rabbit? It's a 20-gauge side-by-side. Yeah, but like, I, couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't lift a coffee cup. And so I was practicing while I was going. I thought, okay, I'm, I'm handling this 20 pretty good. I never saw a rabbit, but I, I knew I could get the gun up if I needed to. So I kept it going, and I thought, okay, let's see where I am with this trap gun this week. So I started exercising with it, and I can actually lift and shoulder and mount that trap gun and swing it. Now, my arm gets tired in a hurry. And I don't know what I'm going to be like going through around 25 or with all the clothes you got well, to wear, but I can get it up. The only trouble is now gun clubs are all shut down. They're all closed. I was going to say, you got at least a month to, to keep the muscles. Then we'll go do yeah. sporting clays. You have to so, break in between stations. I'm going to keep working on this so I can get my trap gun up. So I'm excited to try that. I got my eyes fixed. I can actually shoulder my gun now. So I'm anxious to try some trap tooting again, but we'll see what happens. Soon enough. Yeah. Yeah, soon enough for the lobby. Be opening happening again. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Right on. So that's me. All right. Well, this week we've got a special guest. Sure do. Looking forward to this. Yeah, and he's first and foremost a hunter and a fisherman and a, and a sporting clay shooter. But really, his lifetime of waterfowl hunting has really contributed to where he's at at this point in his life, and it's really come full circle. I believe, like it's a, it's amazing story, and the wealth of knowledge that is about to unleash on this podcast is I'm just excited for it because he's been able to take his education, take his passion for hunting for shock gunning combine the two and he's understands the physics is as much as anybody i think i've ever talked to of actual shotgun loads and patterns and then couple that with choke tubes couple that with brand and models of shotguns and it's just uh, like i said a wealth of knowledge you're gonna you're gonna hear what loads are the best loads to use like this is just unbelievable and so we are so pumped to bring on and without further ado the owner of Muller Competition Chokes, Muller Hunting Chokes, Jimmy Muller. And of course, when we first bring him on here, Bill, I'm going to have to chirp him about his name. <laughs> so here we go. All right. So this week we have a, an ultra special guest from my standpoint, because I do love shotguns. It's my, my number one uh, love over rifles, any other thing. And uh, I, I, I tend to collect some. We won't get into that because my wife may listen to this podcast and find out how actually, how many I do have. But on the phone with us today is Jim. Now, I got two I got two questions. We always have an issue because for the longest time when I first met Bill, like uh, 10 years ago or whatever, his name is actually, if you speak normal English, it's Bill Thom because it's T-H-O-M. For whatever reason... 
his family decided to make the H silent. So it's actually billed Tom. So is it Jim or Jimmy? Which do you prefer? And is it, it's Mueller is what I'm assuming, not Mueller. Correct? It's actually Mueller. Um, Uh, And the only, the only reason he umlauts over the U is for my logo, um, basically trademark for my product. Gotcha. So it is. Oh, so it is go. normal. So it is like normal. Okay. See, Bill, you're the only one with the weirdo deal ah. thing there with the. And you, and you live in St. Thomas. T H. Yeah. So there you oh, go. Yeah, good answer. St. <laughs> Thomas. Thomas. No, we call there it St. Thomas. Good comeback, Bill. That was awesome. That was. I've been sitting. I've been sitting on that one for a long time, and I appreciate oh. Jim coming on so that I could actually get that get that out there. See, so. I try to keep my my witty commentary of chirping Bill fresh every week, so he can't come back and have time to think and match the wit. Darn that it. Was, he's, that was awesome. He Bill. banked you, that you, one. You put him speechless there for a sec. That was great. <laughs> yeah. Good night. Okay. So anyway, we have the owner of, so it is Mueller choke tubes. Is that right? Mueller. Or we are, so we <laughs> are called Mueller choke tubes. See, I'm, I, I'm going to shut up here in a minute, but anyway, so we got Jimmy Mueller, Mueller choke tubes, and it, like you're the scientist behind the brains behind. And so what we're hoping to, to do in this podcast is answer a whole bunch of questions because I get hit a whack load, even from my buddies on Facebook messages and everything on uh, what choke tube should I use for this? What choke tube should I use for that? What's the best brand of choke tube? I'm pretty sure you got an answer for that one. And then do I, should I buy an aftermarket one and blah, blah, blah. Dad is shoots a, a lot of American trap. So he's a fixed full guy. And so he doesn't even do the choke tube unless we're, we're waterfowl hunting, but all of those questions I'm I'm, I'm anxious to hear the answers and then I'm going to shut up now, which is a podcast first 55 episodes and I'm <laughs> going to attempt to mute my mic and let Bill take over and you Jim, cause I know Bill's going to have introduction and all that fun stuff. And as now I'm fading out, it's all on you. Right. I will just try very and cool, when I want to chirp. Cool. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, no, we're, we're very pleased to have you on Jimmy. And I just, uh, for our listeners, let's get it started by uh, who, who is Jimmy Mueller and, and, and why, <laughs> who is Jimmy Muller and why did you, uh, why, did, why did you get into choke tubes? Well, basically I, I started a uh, duck hunt when I was five years old. Um, grew up here on this 900 acre salt marsh in Milford, Connecticut. And um, basically in 1993, I heard about sporting plays and I got into it because I wanted to become a better wing shooter. So I started competing in sporting clays. I fell in love with it immediately, realized that I really wanted to pursue it, you know, and, and jump in with both feet. So the first thing that I felt that I needed to do was actually buy the best products that were on the market. So I knew that if something, if I missed or something was wrong, it was not the product. It was me. And, uh, so basically, you know, I, I bought, a really good uh, shotgun. I bought all the right equipment and choke tubes were one of the biggest things because um, being a being an aerospace and defense manufacturing, metallurgy and, and all that fun stuff, I, I realized how critical components were and the high tolerance components and things that had, you know, good geometry. So make a very long in-depth story a little shorter. I basically went out 
and had to buy eight modified choke tubes from one of the top choke manufacturers um, to get two to pattern like modified. And when I patterned all these chokes, I couldn't understand why some of them patterned like a ski choke and some patterned like a modified and some patterned like a full choke. And I had to buy 10 of them, like I said, to get two that patterned right, like modified. So I went into the shop the next day thinking that they were probably mismarked. And um, that was the only thing that could explain that. So I mic'd them up. I, I set up a dial board gauge. I'd mic the inside diameters. Found that they were all 19 to 20 thousandths constriction from the bore of my shotgun, which was exactly a modified the way that um, choke is defined, um, up until, you know, I came along. So that really, really blew my mind because I'm sitting there saying, how could all these chokes measure 20 thousandths of an inch from my bore, which is exactly modified, but pattern like a, some of them mesquite, some like a mod and some like a full. So that really opened up my eyes and to diving deeper into choke tubes, realizing that a choke isn't just a choke based on thousands of an inch constriction. And, uh, that's what started the whole, the whole process that ended up being, um, 12,000 rounds and 20, 20 different, <laughs> 20 different guns and 13 different bore diameters. And at that point, See, that, every that's, a, that's something that every, yeah, that's yeah. something I want to get into a little yeah. bit there, a little bit on the science and uh, the choke tubes and the research that you did to, uh, to validate your product. But that that seems to be uh, it seems to be something that you could have applied your education to because I I understand through doing a little bit of research that you you've got a mechanical engineering background. I do. I I basically went to Plat Tech uh, trade school as a machine tool uh, machinist and. Um, Senior year, I was hired by an aerospace defense manufacturing company and literally started with all manual machines, bridgeboard millers, lathes, surface grinders, honing machines, and and worked all the way up to CNC machines and went into, uh, got my journeyman licensed and went through metallurgy and heat treating and uh, made all really, really cool parts. That's that's neat, and that's uh, yeah, something you you apply to to your designs, and some of the things you talk about is that it's not only the construction but the geometry that plays into the success of your product. I want to talk about that a little bit. <laughs> you guys are making this way too yeah. technical for me. I just want to put a shell in my gun and go. <laughs> but carry <Yeah>. on, <laughs> Car- carry on. <laughs> I buy a choke hey, tube because I think it looks I- good. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I, Hey, I, I tried to make them look good and I took care of all the homework for you. So you didn't have to worry about all this technical stuff. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, Amen. Sorry. Sorry. Carry on. <laughs> no, that's good. Yeah. So, so basically, you know, I, after measuring all the exit diameters of these 10 chokes and realized they all measured uh, theoretical modified, I said, the only thing that could make these chokes shoot different would be the geometry of some sort. So I went through and I did a full inspection on these choke tubes and found out that the cylindricity, the concentricity, the roundness, um, the surface finish, the parallel length, the gas clearance, they all varied slightly. 
And, you know, when I say slightly, some of them could have been five thousandths of an inch different from one another. Some of the geometries were 15 thousandths different from one another. Um, the surface finishes varied from like a 16 micro inch to a 65 micro inch, I believe, with a profilometer. And I realized that all these different geometries created these different patterns. It had nothing to do with the exit diameter, which is what people always go by. And um, this really, really got me into, you know, making making my own chokes and changing everything until I found the magic for every single gun on the market, which by fact actually is different. So not only do the chokes need, yeah, the chokes need to be different for every single gun based on how that bore diameter is, how the barrel is made, machined, um, the harmonics, everything. It's amazing. What is it? What are you currently shooting for? For, uh, uh, for, for my sporting clay competition, I shoot a 34 inch barrel Zoli. Oh, over and under. For you know, most of our audiences, you know, we got a mix, very, very big mix, but but we, we tend to go uh, more to the, the hunting side. Do you make a, a, a choke tubes that are specifically designed for, for hunting. Um, really, really, Jim, what he's asking is, can you help Bill shoot more geese and ducks? Yeah, yeah. I was <laughs> <gonna> <laughs> <do that. laughs> Sorry, you sorry, know, Bill. Let me... It was a, a two-part yeah. two question, and I probably took too long <laughs> to get there. But, but what I'm looking for is, yeah, that, is a, the best recommendation like, for a wing shooter. Uh, a wing shooter, uh, in addition to, I mean, I shoot uh, I shoot a Browning Satori 325 grade 30-inch four for trap. That that's my go-to gun. I've shot shot that forever. I shoot light modified at 16 yards, and and for me, I'm not like a, a Todd and Don who who break 25 on a regular basis. I'm I'm mid mid 20s. Can your product help help a guy like me break more break targets? Absolutely. So so I'll, I'll get into that really quick. So so basically for hunting, I use uh, I shot an 870, you know, Remington 870 pump most of my life. Um, I still do, um, you know, these, these days I use a 36 inch Hastings wadlock throw with my chokes. Do you really? You're like the only person. (laughs) I have a 34 inch wadlock Hastings for my 870. Now I now shoot a Benelli super black Eagle before I retired that gun, but I still have it. But I'm the, like the only person I know that has it. You're like the second person I know. And everybody's like, why do you go to have such a long barrel? I'm like, dudes, that is where it's at. Everybody's buying these stupid little 24 inch barrels. And I'm thinking, what do you do? You're swinging past everything. But anyway, sorry. I'm just, I'm impressed by that. Cause I have a, a wadlock. You're the only other person that's mentioned that to me. That's awesome. Sorry. Sorry, Jim. Yeah, it's, Carry on. it's an awesome, no, that's an awesome barrel. I got a 34 inch on my, um, on my BPS Browning. Um, but basically, you know, like you just said, barrel length, I mean, we could talk about all these things for, for days, which is why I'm writing a book on all this stuff. But basically, you know, short barrel is for close, you know, short shots and long barrels are for long shots. And the reason, you know, the reason that we shoot 26 inch barrels for skeet usually is because it's a short window, fast game. Um, shooting passing ducks at long distances or feet tasks or very, you know, far sporting clay targets 
that vary in distance, the longer barrel gives you a much uh, better follow through. Um, it helps you finish the shot rather than stop the gun prematurely. And it also stops muzzle jump as much. So you don't shoot as high. Um, if you shoot a very short barreled gun, you're, it's very hard to control that muzzle. Yeah. Whippy. So, uh, on a long target where you've got to be precise, it really helps. Yeah. Thank you for that. I, I argue that all no, the time, welcome. all the time. And I'm like, man, goose hunting. I want the longest barrel I can get. And, and guys are buying yep, these it, little 24 inch whippy things. And I'm, yeah. It, it doesn't have a lot to do ballistically with pattern so much, but it does have a lot to do with the way the gun moves. Smoother swing. Um, yep. And, and basically accuracy. Yep. Yep. So, uh, so again, back to the whole hunting choke thing, uh, you know, and your question, Bill, about, you know, as far as uh, trap shooting and, and increasing your score, you know, basically the thing that I learned very quickly is that choke tubes were critically important. It's the last thing that touches your shock column. Um, one way I like to explain it, it's sort of like the tires on your sports car, you know? You buy a you buy a quarter million dollars sports car. You put plastic tires on it. You ain't gonna leave the parking lot. So if you take, <laughs> I buy, I buy you a know, quarter million dollars sports million. car. Yeah, right. I buy a quarter million dollars you know sports car. That's all I'm affording to put on that car. Yeah. Is plastic tires. Yeah, that's right, man. That's what you got left. <laughs> so, so it, it basically it's critically important. You know, as as much. It's very important about the ammo as well, and we could get into that whole thing. But, but basically, the choke tube is the last thing that touches your shot string. It's the most critical component going downrange. Um, so basically, what I learned quickly was that thousandth of an inch is grossly secondary to the material and the geometry inside that choke. I also then learned quickly from all of that research and development and testing that every single gun, meaning every model, not even only brand, but every model gun shoots entirely different. Now, if you go from manufacturer to manufacturer, they shoot entirely different. So what I'm saying is if you have different bore diameters, it's critically different. It, it's a lot different. Um, basically think of a rifle, right? Even though we're in two totally different ballparks, if you're shooting something very close, um, versus very far, you're going to want a different caliber or at least a different grain bullet for ballistic or coefficient, um, differences, right? Well, a shotgun is sort of the same thing, but people never talk about it. If you start out with a 720, 720 thousandths of an inch diameter bore in say your Benelli or an old, old mobile choke Beretta. And then you take a Browning with a 740 bore. Um, a lot of the Brownings now are 747, but let's go with round numbers, 720 bore and a 740 bore. That's 20 thousandths of an inch different before you even think about putting a choke in the gun. So basically, if you take those two guns, you take the choke tubes out of them, and you shoot at a piece of paper at 30 yards, the 
720 bore is going to look like you've got a modified choke in the gun. The 740 bore is going to look like you've got a skeet choke in the gun. That's before you even put any choke in the gun. So now if you put 10,000 choke in both of those guns, they're still going to shoot that much different. I got you. Okay. So a modified is going to be tighter anyway, because you've started at a modified. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you put a modified into a 720 bore, you're going to be shooting a turkey choke. Yeah. You put a 20,000, you put a modified choke in a big bore Browning or a Kohler, you're going to be shooting like an improved cylinder. Just, just for the record, and Bill, sorry, just for the record, yep. th- then that was the analogy of Todd versus Bill. So I'm so accurate. It's like a rifle for me. I'm using that turkey choke just because I like that fun. Yeah. Bill, you should stick to that improved yeah. cylinder side. So yeah, go, go right now, go yeah, measure your barrel, find out what yeah. thou it is. Well, <laughs> here's a question though. Is, is that something that uh, an uh, individual would need to do before buying your product? Or is that something that well, an average guy would be able to do even with, with the tools and techniques they have currently available to so, so basically you would need a dial bore gauge to reach down past the choke tube, um, which could be anywhere from two inches long to about four inches deep. Um, so you need to be able to go down inside the barrel and measure that bore diameter. You cannot do that with calipers or verniers. You need no. an actual dial bore gauge that will reach. Um, or Smith. Sorry, what, what I'm what I'm saying was, if I as a hunter that that's out there that listens to the podcast wanted to purchase one of your 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 choke tubes to get myself better, I'm probably not gonna have that that type of implement at my at my ready. Do you have do you have the science yeah. done already so that it takes the guesswork out for a guy like you know Todd who doesn't have mechanical engineering background? <laughs> it, it is it is all done because um, so here's the catch twenty two. All, all the manufacturers, all the models, we know what they all measure because I've measured multiples of every single model and, and brand out there. So I know the average, I know the minimum, I know the major, and I know the average. So basically, I've done all that homework, and I've, I've taken care of all that for you. The only time you get into trouble, which could be actually dangerous, is if you go buy a used shotgun somewhere and yeah. somebody had the barrel backboard. Um, what they don't tell you is when you backboard a barrel, you can no longer ever shoot a regular choke tube that comes or is sold for that gun because your bore diameter is much bigger now and you could actually shoot the back of the choke and bulge your barrel. So you got to be really cautious when you're buying used shotguns. Um, never assume that it's the factory barrel. You know what I'm saying? It could have had work done to it. Absolutely. Okay. So I've got a full set of, of uh, Muller chokes for my Caesar Greeny. And so you're, what you're saying is yep. you've already done the math that you just talked about, whatever you, <laughs> that wizardry you just, you just spoke of, you've already done it. So I don't have to worry and go, okay, if I now put in a, a Muller U2, I'm going to be, way tighter than I should be because my barrel constriction before the tube in layman's terms is, is tighter than that. Like you've already accounted for that. You're good to go. I can buy a Muller tube and know that 
and we'll get into, you know, what, where do you use the U1, the U2, the U3 and all that stuff. But I, it's already done. I don't have to do the math. I don't have to think about it. If I'm Bill with my 870 and I'm going goose hunting, I know I can go buy one of your tubes and I'm good to go for the constriction that it says is going to be what the pattern is going to give me. Is that That's right? That's absolutely correct. I've done all of that. I've done all the testing, the math, um, the ballistics, every type of ammo out there, everything you can imagine. I've shot through every single gun, um, not only with my chokes, but with every, every choke on the market and every ammo on the market, just to make sure that mine were um, above and beyond what I wanted. So, so basically one thing that's, that's critically important to know is, you know, even though I've done the homework, I've done the ballistics, I've done the testing. One thing that I always talk to people about is going back to the whole rifle scenario. I try to teach people that match the gun to basically the sport or the game that you're hunting or shooting. What I mean by that is if you're going to shoot skeet only, or if you're going to hunt pheasant from a flush pointing dog, um, or you're shooting stuff, let's just say inside 30 yards, you want the biggest bore diameter possible to give you the biggest advantage because on targets inside 25, even 30 yards, but definitely 25 and inside 25, you want the biggest pattern that you can possibly achieve um, with no choke in the gun at all. So you don't you don't want to you don't want to be starting with a 720 diameter Benelli if you're shooting skeet. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you should be, you should be, yeah. Yeah. You, you're close. You want widespread. So now you're, you're catering into my thought pro and sorry, I'm going to hijack this on you, Bill, just a little bit because now you're coming into my, so my dad is probably his number one love is goose hunting. And we got 150 full bodies. We got a trailer all decked out vinyl wrap. We look like the pro team coming down the road when we're going to goose hunt. It's our gig. So beautiful. <laughs> we do like to do it. And, and so the money's been spent to make sure we can. So when we're doing it though, what I noticed. And so when I first started, I came from working at the gun club, shooting trap. And that was my first, kind of introduction to shotgunning. Now I take it out to the, and so I had to fight with shooting over a lot of things because it's trap targets are always rising. Yada American trap, yada, yada, yada. So, but regardless, I started to get that dialed in, but then I'm finding, okay, I'm knocking them down. I'm doing all right. And then we go hunting with some buddies and my buddies, they're making it rain. And I'm like, holy, like where I'm knocking down one, they're hitting two. When I hit two, they're dropping triples. And I'm like, what is going on? How are they doing this? And so my, the, the, my one buddy says to me, he's like, all right, I'm not going to say this at the gun club, but I'll tell you here because the gun club's full of the old guys like my dad. He's like, I'm running an improved cylinder. And dude, ever since I switched to improved cylinder, I make it rain. And so now we are shooting those Canada's are coming in over our decoys. Probably what, Bill, you just did your first hunt with us and, and at what, 15 yards? Is when we yeah, when feed, we say take it. <laughs> it's it's exactly so it made sense, right? But I'm coming from my father, who I've just unmuted his mic now. He's he's hot. He's ready to talk. But I'm coming from my father, who has always been because of old school gun club 
terminology, you know, fixed full choke. I want as tight as you can. Now we got to shoot steel. So that means modified so that you're, you got the, the friction of the steel coming down. This is as technical as I'll get, but I, I now switched to improved cylinder and that was the trick for me. And so you're dead nuts on, on a close, obviously close bird, but still, I'm still hitting them out there at 35, 40 yards with improved cylinder. Now my dad still shoots a modified and now his somewhat theory and dad, correct me where I'm wrong here, but you would like to base it on shot size. So dad said, okay, that's because I shoot BBs at geese and he shoots number twos. So he feels that we're shooting the same distance of bird, but he's because he's rolling a modified choke, he's shooting twos and getting a few more pellets out where I'm shooting BBs. I've opened up to an improved cylinder. Our patterns are pretty similar. Can you debunk that? Can you back that up? And then can you talk to a Mueller choke for that instance? Yeah. I mean, I could get really, I could get really deep into this, but basically, basically to keep it, to keep it not so deep, um, velocity has a critical component to this as well as payload. Um, shot size does play into it just like your dad thinks. Um, my opinion, the more pellets, the better, and the slower the velocity, the better. Really? So basically. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, we've, we've all been taken by the marketing hype of the ammo companies saying Feet speed kills second. and yeah. hyper velocity kills and all this BS, right? So basically that's all lies. And 88% of waterfowl hunters and clay target shooters never shot a pattern on paper. They don't even know what it looks like. The ammo companies know this. The ammo companies also know that turkey hunters are very anal about patterns and that every single turkey hunter patterns every ammo on the market. And if you look at turkey ammo, <laughs> what do you see? Very heavy payload and very low velocity. Yep. Well, why? because you got to hit a very small target at extreme distances. If you ever gave a turkey hunter a light payload with a high velocity, they'd never shoot it because they'd never kill anything past 30 yards. But with duck hunters and clay target shooters, basically about eight years ago when the metals price went through the roof, all the ammo companies took the most expensive part of the shot shell out, which is the pellets, and they started putting the most, ex the cheapest part in, which is powder. And they started, you know, claiming the high velocity kills and they laughed all the way to the bank at our expense. No doubt. So That's the crazy. only thing, absolutely. The only thing light loads and high velocity kills are our shoulders, our wallet and our patterns. <laughs> they don't kill. So, so you really don't think you need to shoot a three and a half inch shell at a goose to, to make it drop. I'm down. I never shoot three and wait, a half. Wait, 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 though. Wait, wait, wait. He said, he said he likes the pellet count. So if you want, so the I like to shoot BBs as well, just for the kill factor. I hate wounded birds. And I've, I, I feel those bigger pellets do more damage. And so, but I always also say the only reason I shoot three and a half is because they don't make a four inch because I want more pellets, but I will say that I may be victim to this marketing campaign where I also want speed. Like I, this last year, I just bought a whole bunch of that Remington hypersonics or whatever that are like 1700 feet per second. And now you're telling me <laughs> I'm a ding dong. <laughs> 
No. So listen, it, you know, I'm okay time, with I, that. No, I, by I all means, Jim, don't back away. I no, can be right. a ding dong. <laughs> I'm good with that. I'm, I'm listen, just saying, I, I absolutely fell victim to that because that's my, that's my gig. Dad pretty much shoots Winchester experts, 1550s, uh, 1550 feet per second, uh, three and a half inch number, number two. But he's what Jim's saying is that we can go lighter and higher pellet count lighter, lighter. Um, I guess hit is my guess. So it's slower speed is what I should say. Less powder. Yeah. Basically what you want to do is you want, you want to go like a three inch shell and we're talking steel shot here right now. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So which is basically yeah. you want to go, you want to go a three inch ounce and three eighths at 1300 feet per second. That's the magic. That's if the- you go faster than that, it starts opening up immediately. You know, it's plain physics. There's nothing, there's nothing more to it than physics, right? So basically the faster it starts out, the faster it slows down, the faster it starts out, the faster it starts to spread out and open up. And the less pellets you have, the bigger spaces you're going to have between each pellet, which is going to cause gaps, which means you're going to hit the bird with less pellets, which means chances are you're not going to hit the vitals. So Big pellets, BBs, triple B, T's, S. Well, if you hit the bird with one or two pellets, it's going to bring them down. But what you'll notice a lot of times when you start shooting these bigger pellets, you start knocking birds down, but you're not killing them. They're always crippled. And the reason for it is you're always hitting them with one or two pellets because there's only 100 pellets in the shell. If you were shooting fours, you would cover them with a blanket and every single pellet, you know, you'd have vitals hit everywhere and a bird would be stone dead. So what we've gotten away from was the small pellets and the high pellet count. And we've gone to big pellets to make up for the shitty patterns and the high velocity to try to bring them down by hitting them with a lucky golden BB. So what I just heard there with yep. the number, number two, um, but that, that Don was talking about is the right way to go. So old school mentality seems to be winning out over Todd's fast and furious <laughs> ways. Yeah. So, so it's a double edged sword, actually triple edged. So basically I would, if I'm shooting big geese and I'm shooting, you know, let's say inside 40 yards, ultimately I'm going to want to shoot number ones. Um, I, I never shoot BBs in steel and, and I'll get to that, but basically number ones are superior to BBs and twos. Um, the pellet count is almost as high as a two, but the maintained energy in foot pounds is almost as much as a BB. Um, it's obviously a little lighter than a BB, but because the spherical diameter is a little smaller, you're getting less wind drag, less wind resistance. The velocity is maintaining a little longer and you're hitting the bird with more pellets. So the number one is the magic number. And then I go right to number four from the one. So the number four is going to take care of all my puddle ducks out to 50 yards um, consistently and very confidently with my chokes. And then I'm going to go right to a steel number one for my sea ducks or my geese. Um, And that's it. Um, all those loads are going to be three inch ounce and three eighths at 1300 feet per second. That is good to know. Yeah. That's, that's and which choke are you using like a modified improved cylinder 
in in steel and a and a Benelli Silver Black Eagle. So what choke are you? So using? if I'm if I'm yeah if I'm shooting puddle ducks, um, I'm going to use my decoy choke out to out to normal yardages, which to me normal is 45 yards. Um, if I'm shooting sea ducks or geese, I'm going to go right to my passing choke. If I'm shooting steel. So what's your pattern look if like I shoot. at 20 at say 25 yards with that passing choke. So you're saying I'm going to be shooting what, what your recommendation is, is, is three inch 1300 one and three eights number twos or fours. And then I put in your passing choke. So what's my, what, what would be the preferred range on a goose? If if they're still coming into 15 yards, that's still the optimal thing. And I'm still got some, I'm still able to knock them down at say 40 yards. If you get the odd passing going by, even though it's called a passing choke. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm shooting my passing, if I'm hunting geese, chances are I'm going to be shooting my passing choke just because I don't want to cripple birds. If, if I, if I could avoid it. So it's a little tighter. Um, and if they, if, yeah, if they come inside 25 yards, I'm going to head shoot them anyway. But once they go beyond that 35 <laughs> yard mark, I know I can still center punch them and kill them. They come in, you know, close. Out to, out. Yeah, sorry. I was going to say they come in closer than 25 with that Hastings barrel. You just bang them on the head. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just, if I miss, then I just hit them with the barrel. You just bat them out of the <laughs> air. <laughs> you know? It's play ball. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. But, um, like, Going back to the twos and everything, the twos are great, but the the thing that is critically important is the payload and the velocity. Yeah. Okay. Right on. Well, because I got keep it I'm, heavy and keep it slow. See, and this is perfect. And and I I, I think oh man, we're starting 2021 off on the podcast with with some gold here because I'm not kidding you. I've got a message from a buddy that will rename name that will remain nameless, Nick. And he actually asked me December 28th. I'm looking at the message right now. He's like, Hey, what is the best aftermarket choke improved cylinder? And I'm, I, because I need more velocity, I'm running 1700 feet per second Remington fast steels. And so what do you think I should use? Literally that was his question. And so I think you have just answered that. Now, if he's got that question, this guy's a stone cold killer when it comes to ducks on the lake every day. And, uh, so now if he had that question, I think you just answered that question for a whole whack load of people. So bottom line, Muller yep. decoy. So what are the two names of your chokes for waterfowl? We got the passing, which is for ducks way out there or geese. And I say ducks way out there, 35, 40 yep. yards. So I've, so I've got a, I've got three constrictions. I've got decoy passing and UFO. Yeah, the U- so UFO. Basically, <laughs> UFO. <laughs> UFO so is for the guys that tick us off. They're the dudes set up 50 yards beside yeah. you on the lake sky busting before the <laughs> birds are even setting their wings. <laughs> yes. So, so basically the decoy choke is like your improved cylinder light modified. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be good for birds over decoys. Right. Um, I, I don't like to give yardages because it misleads people because you don't know what ammo they're shooting. Yeah. You don't know what bore diameter gun they're shooting and you don't know what birds they're shooting. So I don't like to give yardages because, you know, based on many factors, yardage could be ultimate for at 25 yards with a decoy choke. It could also be 40. So, so it's very difficult to give yardages, but, 
what I like to say is my decoy choke, I developed it for steel shot over decoys. My passing choke, I developed for steel shot mainly for pass shooting, you know, outside decoys. Then the UFO choke is sort of my UFO turkey choke. It's also, it's good for any type of shot. Uh, my chokes have no limit to shoot any pellet material, any velocity, any wad, um, any payload. It, it doesn't matter. They have no limits. Literally, you can shoot steel ball bearings through them. Lifetime guarantee, 60-day money-back guarantee, all that stuff. So basically, they're harder in your barrels, so you cannot hurt them. Um, but basically, the UFO will shoot a pattern tighter, or I should say, more capable than what the steel shot energy will maintain. So basically if, if people are shooting steel shot, I tell them use the decoy in passing. And then if they're shooting tungsten or even like boss bismuth and you want to shoot birds farther than the normal, because you're capable of it. Um, then, you know, the UFO is the laser beam past 50 yards. I'm going to have to get me a, I'm going to have to get me a UFO. Yeah. I got to get me. Yeah. I was just thinking you need something else for your gun there. I need the UFO for the 20-yard shots just because I want to, I want these guys to know. I always say, Jim, that we're cleaning the birds. You can tell which ones are mine and you can tell which ones are theirs because, well, I'm, I'm, I I, never find a pellet in mine. They're all headshots and I'm cleaning. I like. Yeah, he never misses either. He never misses, and the, the decoys are always in the right position too. But you know, I got a couple just follow up questions on that one for for newer hunter. Does does the does the choke help a beginner? Now, now, and I ask that yeah. question because we're talking a lot of stuff here because for, you know, bill hunters. wants help whether he's a beginner yeah. or not there, there's nothing, i never <laughs> ask a question that doesn't have some sort of self-control or prophecy in it anyways but for all the guys out there that, that, that maybe haven't shot it as much as the guys on the podcast and and granted i'm more of a rifle shooter than i am a shotgun hunter uh shooter but i'm getting not by choice uh, doing a lot more no <laughs> but it, I, I do a lot more now than i've been uh before but for a for a new guy green green is could be and he wants to get out in the, in, in, in the, the field with the, a gun. Will your choke tubes help a, a new guy just get into it? Absolutely. And, and let me explain how and where it's going to help. So, so basically, if you're four feet behind the bird, nothing's going to help, right? Yeah. So, so what, I've, what I've witnessed for many, many, many years and hunting with literally thousands of people of all walks of life, you know, top DU people to top masterclass sporting place shooters to, you know, um, weekend warriors, the people that just started. I, I just went sea duck hunting with a group of guys, corporate guys in the, in the firearm industry, great guys, uh, very dedicated to hunting. They live it. They're, they admitted that they don't shoot much. Um, but when they do shoot, they have trouble killing birds, knocking birds down. They don't know what they're doing wrong. And we sat there on the beach and I watched them shoot. And I, and I literally watched them, their pattern go right through birds, like right on birds. And they literally, the birds were not hit. 
um, there would be cripple birds 25, 30 yards out. They would shoot four or five times and there would be pellets all around the bird. They would never kill it. So I would give them my chokes or I would give them my gun with their ammo and it would be like you threw an M80 in the water and the duck was dead. And, you know, so this is what's helping people that, that do a lot of shooting that are beginners, seasoned experts. It doesn't matter. The thing that's worse is when you're on a bird and you don't kill it or you don't yeah. knock it down because your pattern is so inferior because of the choke that you're actually not even hitting stuff when you're right on. And, and you know, it allows the new shooter to get a little more confidence in the fact that there is something yeah. going on that's it's happening, right? I think Ab- I think absolutely. he just gave you a little more confidence right there. Bill, you got excuses now, my man. You, yeah, you didn't have a Mueller choke this last season. Well, that, that's what I'm there you go. from my, my trap gun. You know, I'm shooting uh, the, the Bradley Vector Plus choke tubes in, in, in my, my Brown Satori. I'm thinking that this is a reason why I'm dropping uh, four four birds on average uh, around. You know, maybe this will put me to a point where I can compete with you, Todd. I'm not sure, but. I'm, I'm not you know, even touching all, that. All, after, <laughs> <laughs> all aftermarket chokes are usually going to be better than flush mount chokes that come OEM. And the reason for that is because the aftermarket chokes are usually, you know, machined better. They've got a little more thought put into them, regardless of who makes them. And they're a little longer. So it gives you a little more transition or shall I say it's supposed to. Um, the there are a lot of things that I corrected in the industry. Um, when I started measuring all the chokes out there, there are a lot of things I learned that was being done out there that I was not happy with, which is why I ended up developing my own chokes for my own benefit and competition back in, um, 1994. And, uh, I never looked back, you know, but one of the things, one of the things that a lot of, a lot of chokes, a lot of choke manufacturers do is, and I understand why they do it being in the industry so long now and seeing is they have to make a lot of tolerances. Uh, should I say they need more clearance than would be ultimate because the gun manufacturers tolerances are not as tight as you would think. There's a lot of tolerance. And so they don't want to have headaches of somebody calling up and complaining that the choke goes in too tight or, um, you know, this or that. I got you. So basically yeah. what I learned, you know, what I learned was a lot of chokes were made like the gasper clearance. Um, the, the difference, the clearance between the bore diameter and where it enters the choke. So the choke obviously has to be bigger than your bore diameter, because if it was smaller, it would be actually obstructing your bore, you would shoot the back of the choke and blow it out of the barrel and bulge your barrel, right? So you've got to make it bigger to clear the bore. The problem is a lot of barrels out there from the factories come eccentric, not concentric. So what happens is they know this, choke manufacturers know this, and they don't want to get into a problem. So what they do is they make a lot of clearance there. And what results in that is the taper portion of your choke, which is critically important for a smooth transition, um, is so oversized 
that the pattern leaves a bore of your shotgun, thinks it exited the bore, starts to open, and then gets almost all the way to your constriction area, and then slams back down into your constriction area. Oh, bounces because those the pellets all so over. Yeah, yeah it, it didn't transition into a smooth parallel. So what happens is you end up with damaged pellets, which result in flyers, which result in inconsistency, and very high deviation shot to shot. So I, I fixed all those problems and, and created a much more even, consistent, low deviation shot to shot pattern. So that's just one of the things that, that's different. Sounds, sounds like you got the market figured out and even to a point where you said at the beginning, you're writing a book. You want to, we got to, yeah. we're getting, we're getting close in our time here and I don't want to skip over the fact that you got some stuff and want to make sure that we're, we're telling the, the listeners where to find you and stuff, but you write the book. What's that? I was like, so oh, basically, yeah. So basically it's going to be all about shotgunning. Um, all everything you ever wanted to know and, and didn't know about shotgunning, all the myths are being busted in there. Um, lots of myth busting, lots of clarification about things. You know, we've been, we've been taught the same thing over and over from the thirties, forties and fifties. And basically it's like a obsolete computer. It's just still being spewed to us by our coaches. It's being spewed to us by, um, you know, and shooting instructors, firearm manufacturers, ammo manufacturers, choke manufacturers. And the reason it's being spewed to us is because it's been spewed to them for so long. They believe it. And they really don't know any better because they never went through the type of testing that I've done. Mm, test and so true and try what they yeah. do is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, basically they've been told this, they believe it. So they tell you, and then you tell them and, it's just been going on and on forever. Um, just, you know, one example, the old myth of, you know, like we talked about, um, shoot trap as long, it doesn't matter what choke you use as long as it's full and full, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. the old trap shooter mentality. And, you know, there, there's something about that, but let me tell you, you know, I've, I've got the old Winchester model 12. I've got the old Remington Model 31s, the old Remington 870 Wingmasters, the old 1100s. I grew up at Remington Gun Club here in Lordship, Connecticut. And basically, I've got all those guns with their fixed full. I've got all the ammo back then from the old Peters, the Remington Peters and the Winchester Super Xs and the old, you know, all of them, right? I've shot those old guns with those old ammos. I've shot those old guns with the new ammo. I've shot the new guns with the old ammo. I've shot the new guns with the new ammo and every choke. And let me tell you, back then, you needed full and full to break the 16-yard target consistently with those guns, those chokes, those barrels, and that ammo. These days, with the modern guns, modern barrels, modern heat treating, modern machining, and modern ammo, and modern components, an improved cylinder in most guns now will outperform the old fixed full. No doubt. On so a patterning that's, board. That's it would, yeah, no myth. doubt. Yep. And, and not only a patterning board, because one thing that people don't realize, the patterning board is only two-dimensional, right? 
the thing that it doesn't teach you is what the shot string is like. It's, it's the bell effect. Your pattern is shaped like a bell and the center of your pattern is like the gong. If you were to stand that bell up on the face. So basically you're not seeing the actual shot pattern. You're just seeing where the pellets are on a diameter of a 2d surface, which only tells you a very small part of what you're actually getting. The, the way to really, really tell what you're getting is by shooting birds and seeing how they respond, um, clay targets and live birds. And when you're hunting, the most critical or the, the most eye-opening thing you could do is shoot cripples or sluice the bird on the water and look at what you're getting for a pattern. And look at what your buddies are shooting next to you when they're shooting at cripples or when there's a bird flying along the water and they're shooting, observe the pattern and look at what, what they're getting. And you're going to see eye opening situations going on. Next, just have that vision thought of, uh, we were shooting for fun at the, the trap clinic last year and it started pouring rain. And I just remember exactly what Jim's saying here. When that shot went through the rain, because it was coming straight it. down so well, hard, and you could see, down, yeah, you could see the and shot we were coming ripping. off the line, right? Yep, and you could see that shot coming through that in a in a three dimensional look almost when the, the guy beside you was shooting, and and I, I can I can picture exactly what you're talking about there, Jim. That's. See, That's and, to understand the three dimensional. What, what I took away from that is Absolutely. I need you guys to come hunting with me more, Dad, Dad Bill, so that there's more cripples for me to pattern against. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> I've seen your dad no, shoot. Yeah, like maybe, maybe not dad. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and I'm glad you live a little ways away, Bill, so I don't have to worry about getting punched out tomorrow. But <laughs> That's awesome. But any, anytime you could be near water, and have the opportunity to shoot into it, whether you're on a sporting clay course and there's a pond or if you're out duck hunting, you know, go ahead and, you know, play around with different ammo, um, different guns, different chokes, and basically pick something in the water that's about 40 yards away and, you know, shoot at it and, and observe what you're seeing. At 40 yards with the right steel load with my chokes, it's going to look like you threw an M80 in the water. You're going to literally see an explosion of white spray when you shoot the water. You're not going to see individual pellets like you threw them in the water. No kidding. If, if you're shooting if you're shooting on the water at 35, 40 yards, and you're seeing individual pellets hit the water, you are not shooting a killable pattern. And it's either the ammo or the choke or a combination thereof. That's awesome. That is gold. So, yeah. I like I it. Two more, two more questions. Your, your choke sure. tubes, you make them for every make model available. So if I, if I'm shooting um, my, I, my Browning or, or Todd shooting Caesar and everything in between, you, you pretty much cover the spectrum of what's out there. Yes. I, I make chokes for almost every gun there is. Um, there are some guns out there that do not cross reference, some off brand guns that do not cross reference with the popular guns. Um, what I mean by that is there's a lot of, lot of, um, gun manufacturers that use a choke style. That's already made in the industry. Like Turkey, like, a lot like of these Turkish guns will, using the mobile choke system from Beretta. Yes, yeah. exactly. So a lot of barrels will use like a Beretta mobile or a 
Benelli Cryo Plus or a Browning Invector or Invector Plus. So some even use a REM choke, you know, or a blazer. Yeah. So it all depends on, on who the gun make is. There are some gun manufacturers out there where they do make their own choke. And um, because it's sort of an off brand or just not really um, in the top of the market yet, even if they're a really good gun, they're just not really out there a lot. I may not make them for, you know, a few of those, but very seldom do I not have what you need. I also make sub gauge 410, 28, 20, and 12. I also have some 10 gauge jokes. So I could, I could ask you a hundred questions, but this just is, is awesome. I really appreciate all the information that's out there. And I'd like to have you on maybe a time for some follow-up questions that we may get from our listeners. But lastly, for me anyway, so I'm sure Todd's got a few uh, questions. Where can our listeners, listeners find you and your products? So basically the best way to find, find us is uh, we have our website, which is uh, mullerchokes.com. And that's spelled M-U-L-L-E-R-T-H-O-K-E-S.com. And then uh, we have a very big social media presence, especially on Facebook. Um, we also have Instagram and Twitter, but our Facebook page is almost, uh, our, our Featherlight target chokes are almost at 10,000 likes already. Um, we've got our hunting H2O waterfall hunting choke series on Facebook. Um, and then of course I've got my page on there that talks about a lot of it. Um, I've also got a, I have a, um, my own forum on shotgunworld.com. And, uh, so there's, there's a lot of ways. And then of course we have our email, which is info at mullerchokes.com. That's awesome. So yeah, I'm hoping that we, uh, we can educate, we educated today and provide a little bit of humor and didn't, uh, didn't talk too much there, but we, uh, I, I learned a lot for sure. Jimmy, I really appreciate you coming on and, uh, thank you for me and, and Todd. Yeah, that was awesome. I, I just a gold three inch, 1300 feet per second, one and three eighths payload through a Mueller choke. You're going to kill some animals. Absolutely, man. All, all my hand loads. I actually am down to two and three quarter inch, um, ounce and three eighths Spiros tungsten sevens. And I'm killing birds at ridiculous distances. Um, it, it's again, it's, it's all about the payload and the velocity and of course the pellet material, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. the choke is critical. Once you get that ammo right, then it's critically important. It's all up to the choke at that point. Right on. No, I Excellent. think this well, was awesome. Yeah, you so much cleared up. I there, it's hard to argue with you, Jim. I wouldn't even attempt it. It's yeah. a wealth and all. I'm looking forward to your book. I'll be watching for that to come out for sure. And we do appreciate it. So yeah, thank you very much for your time. Thank you guys. It was a great time. And, uh, you know, we could, could talk for days on this stuff, man. There's a lot out there, a lot, lot to learn about it. It's, uh, it's really critically important for us. Oh, absolutely. Know? It's never really been taught. Nope. Absolutely. Oh, looking forward to learning more. Thanks. Appreciate your time. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks guys. Yeah. Thank you, Jim. And that'll do it for this week, folks, for the redneck country podcast. I'm Bill, the almost guy, Tom. And I'm Todd. Thanks for listening. And folks, if you want to be part of the podcast or you want to give us some feedback or really contact us about anything, feel free to email us at podcast at theredneckcountry.com. Again, that's podcast at theredneckcountry.com. Thanks for listening. Talk to you again next week.